Good evening, Sportsonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Agliolaro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live, like we do here each and every week via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. Of course, we are rebroadcast and redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank you for joining us, no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Bullhorn, rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things and we got a good show for you tonight folks uh no dave hastings with us tonight he is over in uh merry old ireland or whatever whatever the hell you'd call him over there i think it's merry old england so yeah no he's in one of those countries over there um but he'll be back next week we will be joined by cousin david david wow cousin david in a matter of moments here so we're going to talk a good amount of baseball tonight. Obviously, we had the trading deadline last week, and we talked about the Mets quite a bit. Now a weekend, the Mets, of course, lost their first six games right after the trade deadline. They did win yesterday uh, against the Cubs back home in City Field. It's been an interesting week, the interesting season, which we've obviously talked about ad nauseum here. We'll talk some Yankees tonight, and, you know, it's um, – so the Yankees are 58 and 55 as we enter play today. Uh, they've lost two straight games. They are in fifth place in the American League East because the American League East does not have one team in the division that is under 500. They currently are a couple games out of the third wild card spot. So if the season ended today, obviously they would be on the outside looking in. Um, but they did stand pat at the deadline last week. Uh, they are actually five and a half games out of the final wild card spot. But yeah, they stood pat at the trade deadline last week. They made um, two minor moves for a big league reliever and I think a minor league reliever. And I'm sure this gentleman who is joining us right now has plenty he would like to say about this. So we got him here. He hasn't been on the show in a little while. Ladies and gentlemen, Cousin David Aglialoro is with us tonight. Cousin David, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Had a good day at work and just happy to be home. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, good to have you with us. So, like I said, as you were coming on here, we'll, we'll, we're going to be talking a good amount of baseball tonight. Obviously, it's post-trading deadline. You weren't here with us last week, but, you know, we, we did cover good amount for the Mets. We'll probably get in a little bit more here. But we didn't really hear too much from the Yankees side of things. So, you know, the Mets had the big tear down and everything. I wouldn't call it a straight rebuild what the Mets did because, you know, they didn't trade Alonzo. They didn't trade Lindor. They didn't trade McNeil. Sanga and Diaz are still there. So to me, it was more of a, I don't know, retooling, repurposing, repackaging. It's a, definitely a reshuffling of the deck, but not, not a tear down. And then you turn over to the other side of New York. And the Yankees don't do a rebuild. They don't really gear up for a big postseason run. Like I said, they, they managed to just stand pat. 
And um, yeah, right now we stand 58-55. Yankees five and a half games out of the uh, final wild card spot there. And David, I'll give you credit on one thing here because, you know, you called them in terms of stepping back in 2021, I believed it was, and you were way ahead of the Aaron Boone vitriol than anyone. I've kind of coined the phrase that you were ready to fire Aaron Boone the day Joe Girardi stepped down as Yankee manager. Didn't even wait for him to get hired. Um, (laughs) And uh, here you stand. Here we stand. I still think the, the Yankees have enough talent to make the playoffs, even though they did lose Carlos Rodon, who just went back on the injured list after missing majority of the first three and a half months of the season. So he's back on there. What does that sound like? Huh? What does that sound like? I mean, there's a lot of people you could say that about. Are you trying to (laughs) like, you're going to have to be specific, David. Like we're talking about pitchers here. So who did you mean? Um, what's the sad thing about that is that you're probably right. There's probably so many of Brian Cashman's failures to pick from another Carlos Rondon failure where uh, the pitcher hasn't even thrown, uh, uh, you know, a couple innings yet. Okay. All right. But anyway, I still think this team does have enough talent to make the playoffs. Will they though? I think is a different story. So why don't you talk a little bit? Um, Just your overall thoughts. Did you want them to do anything at the deadline and your thoughts of where we stand with a little less than two months to go in the season? Well, Knowing what you know now, um, especially especially the, I I think basically I, I think basically the problem with this Yankee team is that you know the things that happened after after the trading deadline, and pretty much you also said this earlier, whether it's the uh, whether it's the Rizzo situation, whether it's actually the Herman situation, now you get two two more players gone, and I think this just magnifies it even even further as other teams are, are getting better Baltimore's getting better the, the division's getting younger it's getting better and the Yankees just standing pat um is just is it, just basically inexcusable um and it's you know not only me saying it now now you have prominent journalists saying that maybe Brian Cashman after 20 25 years just doesn't basically have he doesn't have the room anymore because I don't I don't necessarily think Aaron Boone is a manager he's just you know and people have said this on the show before he's he's just taking orders from the app maybe the app wasn't working at basically the trade deadline and that's why they didn't make any moves um who knows um but I just think you know I I again and I've said this before I think I think the Yankees need a reset um I think, you know, the Aaron Judge move, even though, you know, it was a lot of years and a lot of money, I understand why basically they they did it. But this then again, with him being injured, I don't think I, I don't think this is going to get any any better. The problem is they basically have players that just aren't good enough. And basically the players that are good enough just can't stay on the field. And, um, you know. Whether it's now, whether it's in two years, whether it's in three or four years when Brian Cashman uh, exits eventually, I think um, what basically you're going to see is 
you're probably gonna you're probably gonna need a another 2016 um rebuilding phase where they got rid of a rod after 2015 or was it actually the middle of the 2016 season oh, I, I think it was it, it, it yeah it's somewhere around there just go with that for right now yeah, I can't remember. It was the, yeah but that's but 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 that's pretty much what I think you're going to need. You're actually going to need a new manager. You're actually going to need a manager that's going to command respect. You're going to need a manager who's not who's not basically going to play games. And I'll say it: you're probably going to need a manager that's probably going to piss off Aaron Judge because you need people in that room that are basically going to tell these stars no. It's not easy time anymore. You're actually going to have to work. You're actually going to have. You're actually going to have, have to feel uncomfortable every once, once in a while. You're a professional ball player, and I think, and not to single out Joe Girardi and Joe Torre, but they kind of had that quiet sense where it's like they kind of led because they've done it. Aaron Boone hasn't done anything, and I don't even think. I mean, you could check this. You could check me on this, Mike. I don't think Aaron Boone ever won a won a World Series as a player, has he? Uh, no, actually, two thousand three, they did not win. I do, I do yeah. not believe he's what you want a World Series. But if I can interject real quick, sure. um, listen, I, I get we've talked on this show for about two or three years now that it, it's probably the right move for Cashman to step down. Before you take into account how the team is actually produced, before you take into account the moves he's made over the last couple of years, we've seen it before where successful general managers and their franchises just feel like there's a certain point where you can't really do anything else and it's time for a parting of the ways. We saw it with Theo Epstein in Boston. You saw it with Terry Francona in Boston, Joe Madden in Tampa Bay. We've seen it all over the place. We've kind of seen it for a few years now that maybe it's time for Cashman to step down or for Hal to grow a pair and take back control of the team a little bit. I get why he's loyal to Cashman, but maybe at some point what you're putting on the field should kind of supersede any loyalty there. The one thing that I will ask you about, okay, everything you just said about Aaron Boone, you know, you, you've kind of been proven right in terms of, He's not really a manager. He really is just doing what the front office tells him. I don't know. Maybe you tell me. Have you heard anything, any rumblings, any rumors coming out of the Yankee clubhouse that the players don't respect Aaron Boone? Because that's, to me, the only thing Aaron Boone has going for him, the fact that it does seem like his players respect him. No, no. I, I would I would, I would, would wholeheartedly agree that basically the players respect him but i actually think that's but i actually think that's part of the issue i actually think that's part of the issue the players he is a player's manager and i personally think the players have it too too easy with this guy and i think you need you need more of a different hand a you need another manager who's going who's going who's going basically to discipline a little bit more to be to be a little harder to to basically go back to the fundamentals. I think him being friendly with base of the players is probably harming the players long long term because that was Girardi's problem. Girardi had this reputation of not being the easiest guy to work with, 
But guess what? I would take I would take the nine years of Joe Girardi's record over Boone's. Because yeah, I, I mean, think, I feel I yeah. feel like you start. Yeah. I I feel like you were going to kind of allude to the where the being a player manager hurt Girardi on that one, but um, because I, I'll be honest, like what you're saying about Boone, I'm not disputing that he probably shouldn't be the manager right now, but both Girardi and Tory were known as players' coaches too, like. I'm just I'm like you're saying he's friendly with the players. I I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe. And again, you're obviously the Yankee fan here, so you may know a little more than I do. I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that because he doesn't have a um, fire and brimstone relationship with the players that they take advantage Maybe it's maybe maybe basically what I'm trying to say is that when Girardi spoke to the press and Joe Torre spoke to the press, he had they they both had no problem calling out a player. Aaron Boone hasn't done that because Aaron Boone can't do that because he was he was hired to play nice with the press, and I think. and I think that's a problem. I think every once in a while, a manager's got to call out the player. It's not, it's not fun. It's not comfortable. It's not the best thing in the world. But I think you've kind of, you've kind of lost that dynamic with Aaron Boone because Boone is just kind of out there to be the mouthpiece and just, and just to say what's been uh, tested. I mean, Maybe that's what... Maybe that's I mean, I, 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 listen, I get what you're saying in terms of the whole calling people out thing. I, I will say, I, I don't I don't know. Every now and then it does seem like Aaron Boone ain't exactly cordial to the press after a game. Uh, so I, I will say that the, the point about calling the players out in the press. Listen, I get you on that one. I, I think that's a little more a sign of the times than anything. Because how many times do you truly see managers call out their players nowadays? Probably less so. But yeah, but yeah, but right. But with actually the Yankees, it never happens. It, it like never, never happens now. Girardi called out the players occasionally, and he I, again. He wasn't I, I, very I, well liked. I no, listen. I, I I'm not arguing with you on that, but I just think that's part of the elu- evolution of where we are in sports, that you don't see things like that too often. I mean, listen, the base point that it's time for a change in terms of the voice that the players are hearing, probably a good thing. But I think we also know no change at manager is going to happen until a change happens at general manager. You know what I mean? So to kind of go on to Cashman a little bit there, was there anything you wanted to see them do at the deadline rather than nothing? I think they could have got I actually I actually think they could have got a, a another bat, maybe another pitcher. Um, yeah. especially with Herman going down now. I, I think I, I think you could never you could never have enough pitchers. I think I think oh. basically the fall shows you that. Um mm-hmm. I mean I mean just I don't I don't want to get into specific players because I didn't even I didn't even hear any rumblings, any like rumors of, of what of what player they could have. Like like you know, there was a couple stories with 
face of the Red Sox, there was some close signs where they were actually trying to get some pitchers or some relief help. There was actually talk of that. And, and at least those fans are somewhat grateful that their team was trying to do something. I didn't even, you didn't even hear any grumblings or rumors or, or nothing. Well, I will, I, I will tell you there, there was one, there, there was one because Cody Bellinger was a name that was kind of rumored that maybe the Yankees would make a run Maybe the right. Cubs would be looking to sell. But then, if I'm not mistaken, the Cubs went on a run where they beat a lot of bad teams. So statistically, they, they felt like they still had a shot in making a wild card. So they pulled everybody they had off the trading block. Okay. I that mean, was that, Yeah, that was the only thing I heard the Yankees connected to, though. But that's fair. But it just it just seems like that that – I, I don't I, I don't even necessarily I, I I don't necessarily think in the end they they basically would have pulled the trigger and I think because there's this the Yankees never really you know the last couple of years they 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 really never have that sweet spot they're always holding on they're always holding on to the wrong prospects they're always trade and then when they give up the prospects they you know they actually make a trade for like a Frankie Montez, another guy who hasn't pitched all year. It's like mm. they, you know, they actually can't find that sweet spot where, you know, where in basically the end, the Yankees come out on top of the trade. It just, it, it just seems like, and look at today, they actually just got rid of Delvey Garcia. David, who was I was one of the just going to bring that yeah. up. Yeah. Who, who, mm-hmm. who, who was, who was like one of their prime prospects who was untouchable. We're not trading this guy. And he turned out and he basically turned out to be a bust. And, and, you know, I, 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 I really have to start to question who basically the Yankees are farming this out to in basically the farm system. Because if, you know, this guy was untouchable and there was a lot of, players that we could have got if we actually would have gotten rid of him. Uh, and then now he's, and now he's 25. He's nothing special. And now they're getting rid of him for nothing. And they, mm. you know, and, and, and this is, and this is, this is actually draft capital that you could have traded to get something. Well, I mean, I'll definitely agree with you on that one there. I mean, I can't write, was it 2021 was the year he came up and he made the postseason start. Was that 2021 or was that 2020? It might have been 2020 because he came up. I think he came up. I think he came up in September in 2019 and pitched a couple oh, I, of innings. Okay. But, only I, in like, I, but no, you might ahead. be right. Yeah. You might be no, right. No, you might be right too because honestly, I don't remember. All I know is we have not seen David Garcia in the major leagues really since that postseason start, whatever year it was. It's been at least a year or two. Since we've right. seen him. So I, I don't know what happened between the the postseason start and now uh, it was either today or yesterday. Yeah. He gets added to the list of Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar as guys who are highly talented. And you mentioned they could have got something for these guys. Like, I, I'm sure I don't need to remind you. They could have had Garrett Cole in 2019 if they decided yep. to give up Andujar and Frazier, but they didn't want to do that. And yep. then they, if I'm not mistaken, they wound up designating them both for assignment years later. It, it's just, it's just, they, they just can't catch a break. 
It's it's like they're like I said before, they're they're holding on to young guys who don't really do anything. So they lose, so they actually lose basically the draft capital. And then they're actually not pulling the trigger. Then they're actually pulling the trigger on veterans that turn out to not do anything. So that's that that's you've 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 kind of seen that the last couple of years where the Yankees just can't find the right spot. And it you know, and I don't want to say this again, but you know, maybe they need a new set of eyes to look at this. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's nothing that Brian Cash is doing because he's been there for so long. Maybe they just need another set of eyes to look at this roster and see who's going to go and who's not going to go. Because I personally think Aaron Judge really wasn't in the plan. I think Aaron, I think Aaron Judge did just so, so well. He kind of made them, he kind of forced the Yankees hand to sign him because as I've said be, before with you and many uh, many people on the show, I don't think Brian Cashman ever meant to sign Judge. Uh, but but then again, you know, it's kind of sad because it's like I don't think any Yankee fan, a, 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 a true Yankee fan right now who's watching this team, I don't think they could tell you what exactly the plan is right now. There is no plan. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think there's a plan. Maybe somebody could tell me what the plan is, because I I just I just can't see it. Well, I mean, listen, you're not wrong in terms of do they have a plan going forward? Uh, the judge thing is interesting because even though I may want to disagree with you, at the end it has been publicized that it took Hal Steinbrenner calling Judge and basically saying, "What is it going to take to get you back to get him back?" That definitely goes to your point. Um, so, I mean, there, there's all that. Um, and, and yeah, you, if you look at what the Yankees did in the off season, they actually did bring in, I, I don't know what you call them, special advisors, special counselors, Brian Sabian, former general manager of the giants, Omar Minaya, obviously former general manager of the Mets. So I think they have tried to bring some new eyes in. But as you've said before, as Eric has said on this show before, as we've all said on this show before, sometimes things just run their course. And after 25 years, I don't think anyone's going to hold it against either side. If coming out of this season, all parties decide that we need a new general manager and his name cannot be Brian Cashman. I I don't see any harm in that. And I think we all know Cashman would wind up getting a job almost immediately if he was put on the market. That shouldn't be a concern at this point. What should be a concern is seemingly one more year, you got this Yankee team that seemingly has all this great talent and everything. And if by the grace of God, you guys are able to make the playoffs this season, it's great. But we all know you're not getting past Houston. Because even no, if you do can't. make the playoffs, that that's that's the perpetual boulder in the middle of the road right there that they can't seem to get past. And 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 and, and Mike, not to well, I'll just no, go say ahead. It. No, go ahead, go ahead. Go you, ahead. You, you 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 know, we all know, we all know what Houston got at the trade deadline, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I, listen, Justin I, Verlander has was, was that just the Yankee spin. 
Okay, I was just going to say, is that a statement of fact or was that a dig? I'm not sure how that no, was no, going no, there. No, 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 okay. I, I, no, 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 I was saying that it makes it it makes them even harder because the Yankees have never been able to hit Justin Verlander. Never yeah. been able to hit him. Never been able to hit him. I actually think the Mets did a good job of getting rid of him because they just had to. But but it's like just for our sake with the Yankees, it just basically makes our job even harder. And let's just say let's just say we sneak in to the playoffs. Maybe we lose in maybe we lose in like the knockout round. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if if we basically got if we got into the first round. Be shocked. Well, listen, like I said, I, I still think they have enough to make the playoffs, but I'm not going to argue with anyone who who feels the way you do on that particular issue. So I get you on that. But I feel like one more season we're saying these are the Yankees and this is likely what it's going to be until Hal finally decides to remember he's a Steinbrenner and make a change here. Nothing against Cashman, but I, I, I think we're a few years past the point where it's time with him. Well, can I ask right. you a question? Do, do, okay. do you, I mean, I mean, I mean, the fans are, are all saying that he, he should go, but uh, I mean, and I could be wrong. Cause I certainly don't, I don't know what's in Hal's head. Um, but I don't. Th- I personally don't think Hal is ready to get rid of him. I think. I actually think we're still three to five years away from that. I mean, crazier things that happen. I, I can't. I can't say you're wrong in thinking that. We've seen nothing that would make anyone think that. As much as the obvious answer might be get a new voice in the room, we've seen nothing to indicate that Hal is ready to make a decision like that. So I. I think you're valid. In your, in your point there. And right. uh, I, I will say when we're at a point where you listen to WFAN and 90% of the Yankee calls that are calling in are saying something to the effect of we should have done what the Mets did at the trade deadline because at least it would have been something. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that part is definitely tipped in the scales. Um, but it's anybody's guess as to whether or not Hal decides to take the initiative and make a change. Cause that's, that's, that's all it boils down to. If not, it's going to be more of the same. So if, did you have anything else Yankee? Well, I, I, one thing you brought it up and I did forget to get to say it too. On top of everything else Cashman has working against them before we even get to David Garcia release and you know, the, um, Rodon going back on the injured list. Yeah, Anthony Rizzo goes on the injured list last week um, with post-concussion effects from a concussion he likely suffered two months ago. And then the whole Domingo Herman, he was not supposed to play. Then they put him in a game, even though they knew apparently he had relapsed. And then he had the situation where they had to give him an indefinite leave of absence to, to go to rehab. It's It's not... It, it, it's it's not a lot pointing in Brian Cashman's favor there. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And how how much of the – well, the, the, here's the question then, kind of wrap it up. So to go back to what you were saying about Boone before, I, I mean, not being able to see a player suffering from uh, effects of a concussion 
two months down the line. That does sound like something that everybody in the organization should be embarrassed that they missed. You put that more on Boone than anybody else? Say that again? Rizzo, with everything in terms of, you know, suffering the effects of the concussion likely for two months. I, I feel everybody in the Yankee organization who saw him, who missed that, should be embarrassed. But do you put that on Boone more than anybody else? No, probably not Boone. I would probably blame the training staff. I, I, okay. I think if any, I mean, I mean, you, you have, look, I'm going to be, the, I'm never, I, I can't believe you're making me do this, Mike, but I'm going to defend Aaron, Aaron Boone here. I think it's the first time. Mark the day. I didn't even really mean to do this, but I'm excited <laughs> to see it happen. Go ahead. I think, I think a manager has a lot on his plate. Any manager. But teams have have big payrolls. They pay doctors. They pay training staff. They pay hospitals. You know, a lot, a lot of money. So Aaron Boone doesn't have doesn't have a medical degree. I don't believe. Um, so I would probably I would probably blame more the the training staff because these players have ac- have access to CAT scans and MRIs and all these tests. The, like like that night that the you know the you know the, the teams pay for it so i would prop i would think when the offseason comes around prop probably the yankees will probably change maybe the training staff because it is it is a terrible thing to miss i mean even regular people like me and you who don't have access to all this money we know if we're not feeling good or if we have a head injury we're actually going to get checked out and to, and then to basically, to basically have a pro player have, you know, be running around for two months, not actually getting checked, checked out is crazy, especially after, after I think it was Clint Frazier who actually dealt mm. with a lot of con, 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 concussions and the Yankees were very, you know, no, let's take them out. So it, it's just kind of, it's, it's just, it's just kind of mind hoggling to me that they would let it go this to this far. Yeah, it is crazy. And the Frazier comparison, that's a, that's a good one to make right there. I'll tell you that. Cause I completely forgot about that. This has now happened yeah. twice basically with them. So yeah. Yeah. Not, not a great situation all the way around. So um, did you have anything else Yankee wise to bring up? Otherwise we're going to move on. Um, this is probably going to, I don't know how relevant this is, but this, but this is actually probably going to be one of the few years where I really have no desire to go to a game. Mm. <laughs> and that's sad because I, because I usually hit a couple games before the season's up and I just have no desire to go. I will probably, I will probably take my father-in-law to a Met game before I go and see this year's Yankee team. That's and and I think that's sad, right, Mike? I mean, listen, with <laughs> everything costing the way it does, I don't think anybody should be, have it held against them if they don't decide to go to a game. But um, <laughs> you know, I yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. For you, I could see that being sad. Yes, yeah, yes, I do. Yeah. So. All right, we'll we'll move off of that, and we'll t- we'll talk about the Mets very briefly here. I'll get your thoughts on what they did last week, because obviously we talked about it um, last week when it started. I'd say 
the to me the biggest news, if you want to call it news of the last week, Max Scherzer's comments, putting it all out there, what he was told from um, Epler and then Steve Cohen that he waived his no trade clause because basically the way he put it in the press conference and to Ken Rosenthal was that he was told that the team was not fully planning on being competitive next season. They felt 2025, 2026 was going to be their window. So he was told they would not be going after top tier free agents. And I think it was very bad form on Scherzer's part to put that conversation. When you got Epler and Cohen saying, I'm not going to discuss what was discussed with the player in confidence. And then you got this idiot going out there, putting that out there. It smells like an ulterior motive to me. And I'll be honest, I don't want to completely do a 180 on Scherzer here because I was fine when he came over, even though it definitely, to me, it felt like one of those signings that the Mets make of a guy who is late in his prime, hoping that he would recapture what he used to be when likely the guy would kill the Mets every time they would play him. And then the Mets get him. And then all of a sudden he turns into a senior citizen. I, I don't want to say we saw that entirely with Glavin. But I know when Glavin left after that final day of 2007, he took a lot of flack and he became kind of not never to me, but I know a lot of Met fans hated him as a result of all that. Never really looked at him as a true Met. Scherzer had a decent year for himself last year. I believe he had the lowest ERA of his career. I, I could always kind of feel like something was off though. And then obviously the bottom fell out this year and then he leaves the way he did. Verlander comes out a couple days ago and Verlander class act. I think there's a reason why most Met fans would have liked to have kept Verlander in the next season as opposed to Scherzer. In addition to the fact that the on-field performance didn't quite go as badly with Verlander as it did with Scherzer. If you listen to him talk about it, he just, to me, he put it so much nicer and he showed respect to his former team that had showed him respect and gave him and Scherzer too, gave them both golden parachutes. Listen, we don't know what next year is going to be like. We'd like to be able to use you to rebuild. We'll send you to whatever team you'd like. And Verlander gets to go back to the team he spent five years with and won two championships with. So I think neither of them really got a right to bitch. And listening to Verlander, I just think it sounded a lot better coming from him. And it it just made him seem like much more of a class act than Scherzer. But what that did was give a lot of yelling and screaming talk radio show hosts will they sign free agents this offseason will they be active in free agency well david i'll put this to you because i think they saw that going full throttle on the high-priced veteran free agents the elderly guys that obviously didn't work and i think this offseason the idea that they're not going to spend money on free agency is batshit ridiculous. And anybody who believes that needs to take a time machine back to 2017 and remember what the Wilpons would have done when shit went badly 
and then shut your fucking mouth. Uh, because what they would have done is they would have held on to all the players from last week. They would have acted like they felt like they were still in a playoff race. They would have acted like anybody coming off a free agency uh, uh, off of uh, injured list was like they got a free agent. And they didn't need to do anything. It was like a trade acquisition. We didn't need to trade for anybody. Look, we have five guys coming off the injured list. Great. They're all terrible. They're not doing anything. That's not a that's not how trading works. But anyway. The idea, unfortunately, that the Mets are going after Shohei Otani. I do feel like they will make him an offer. But I think at this point, David, you probably agree. The idea that you have $50 million in dead money on your books next year. You're still going to have a decent enough payroll there. And you still want to try to bring in two or three pitching free agents to help what is still going to be a weak pitching staff next year. Maybe the idea of committing at least 60 or $70 million of that salary next year to one player, maybe it's not the best idea in the world, even if it is Otani. What do you say? I, I've i never really been um, a big um, Otani. I mean, I I think he's great. Let me say it this way. I, I think he's great. The problem is, is that he's only played for a team that hasn't done anything. So to me, it's like, is he great? Yes. Is he a great pitcher? Yes. Is he a great hitter? Is he going to move? Is he going to move the needle on a team? With the Angels, that's that's really shown to be no. So, you know, if you actually go out and sign him, you're actually going to have to make a multitude of moves. Um, and and I'm and I'm really and I'm really not a big twenty-four and one kind of guy. And I know um, the former Mets manager got crap for it when he said that he didn't sign Alex Rodriguez. He wasn't a 24 and one guy. I think show. I think that, that's I think a Steve a, Phillips quote. That's a that's Steve a, Phillips quote. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Go ahead. That's a Steve Phillips. And, and actually not to get too much into it. I know Steve Phillips got a, got a boatload of crap for it saying how oh, it's terrible. You didn't sign a rod. I actually think the Mets dodged a bullet there, but anyway. yeah, I don't. I don't remember him taking a lot of shit for that after they put out the articles that A. Rod wanted his own billboard. Right, but I'm saying there yeah. were some fans that said, "Oh, just do it, do it, do it," and and, mm. and I actually think Phil. I actually think Phillips is right about that, and I yeah. think and I think and I think if the Mets do look at signing him, it's going to be a similar situation i think um mm. so i definitely i definitely wouldn't be in, in in favor of that i think the Mets should stay away um he's gonna cost at least he could he could he could be the first 500 million dollar player oh i think i think at this point it from everything and listen whatever he actually signs for might be a lot less but i think everybody's kind of Agreed that it's going to be at least $500 million. Like there's a possibility this goes up to seven, $800 million for the contract. Right. Right. So yeah. I just, I, I don't, I just think, I just think the Mets with that type of money could do a whole lot more by getting multiple players, mixing them with, you know, getting a couple of veterans, not just one veteran in Otani, but getting a, a mix of veterans to play 
to sort of play with the young guys that they're going to be now that they're committed to. Can I say one thing about Justin Verlander and Max Herzer? Go ahead. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree what the Mets did. I actually thought I, I, I understand why they got rid of both of them and I'm not criticizing them over that. I probably, I probably would have, I probably would have done a different tactic I don't necessarily know if Max Scherzer wants a meeting on J- July 29th. If I would take it, I probably, I, I, I probably would have, I probably would have avoided that meeting like pretty much the plague. And if I, <laughs> and 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 then if I go and trade him, I trade him, and then he doesn't know anything because I think I think that story is going to hurt the Mets. Obviously, look, it isn't the Mets' fault. He actually. He actually went and blabbed that, and mm-hmm. that actually said, and that actually says more about him than than actually Steve Cohen. He obviously was in it for himself, which is understandable. He's a thirty-eight-year-old pitcher who wants to win, which I, which I get. But I probably would have done this a little differently. I actually probably would have traded Robertson on July thirty-first or August first or whenever the deadline was. And yeah, I, I, I uh, go ahead. No, and then I probably I I probably would have made that trade. I would have 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 made the two minor trades, Mark Conra and one other guy, I can't think of his name. And then kind of okay. kept all the stars guessing about what basically the Mets were gonna do. And then I actually and then not and then not traded the big pitchers and then maybe and then maybe traded them in the offseason. I don't think you would have gotten as much for him in the postseason as you would have at the trade deadline though. And here's here's the deal like the Robertson point, yeah, I I I said this last week. I thought it was a mistake to lead with one of your biggest trade ships and only get 18 and 19 year olds for him. Now the 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 two kids, the teenagers may wind up turning into something. Uh, I get that good good teams apparently try to accumulate talent at all levels, regardless of age and everything. So I get all that. Yeah, I, I did think they shouldn't have let off with the Robertson thing. The only problem with what you're saying in, in terms of not taking the meeting with Scherzer, I, I totally agree with the sentiment. The fact that he's talking about I need to have a conversation with the owner. Yo, who the fuck are you? You're a fucking 38-year-old pitcher who's been terrible this season. You're part of the reason that we're in this fucking problem. And that's the dude that cuts your checks. Organizations have structures. You got a problem? The person you go to is Buck. You don't like his answer? Shut the fuck up and go back and try to pitch better, please. So I get that. But you can't have that approach when you're also going to try to ask this guy to waive a no-trade clause and potentially fuck up your plans if he says no. That's unfortunately why that tactic would not have worked. And yes, I think the sentiment I totally agree with. I think Max was 100% out of line, demanding to ask for the owner. He talks to Billy Epler. Epler tells him the plans. He don't like that answer, so he goes to talk to Cohen. Motherfucker, the general manager just told you the way it was and you went over his head 
to hear it from the get the fuck get get out pack your bag hey let here let me help you let me help you with your bags as you get out the door but, but here's um, the problem mike but but mike not to cut you off but here's exactly the problem with that and maybe maybe you'll think this too i you know i don't know the problem is is that doing it doing it this way and play and placating a player like that is just is is just basically going to set set basically the pattern for every other superstar to ask for that. I mean, look, next year, well, right? Well, right? Uh, right. Pete Alonso is a free agent this year or next year? It is next. You know this season, better yes. than me. All right. It so let's next, say yes. on. All right. Okay. So let's say July twenty eighth, two thousand twenty four. Doesn't have a Pete no Alonso trade clause. Talk- that's a good point, but I'm saying yeah. he could still he could still ask to speak to the owner. I think, while I get the point you're making, I think it's a slightly different situation for Alonzo than it is Scherzer because Alonzo has been with this team the entirety of his career. He's been there when Cohen took ownership, right. so I don't listen. The same principle should apply, but I do think you're looking at a different situation, potentially, because Alonzo is the face of your franchise, and he is one of maybe four guys who's been with this team basically since Cohen took over. So I I think there's a little different uh, there in terms of the situation. The point that you're making that other players can do this. I, I get you on that point. I get you on that one. Do we anticipate a lot of these players to be making the $40 million that Max is making, though? Because I think without that, some of that boldness goes away. I think he was emboldened by that in a way that he shouldn't have been. And in light, listen, we know they need to throw a lot of money at Pete. Uh, any talk of him being traded, which Scherzer kind of provoked that. And I didn't even realize it at first because I had heard Scherzer's comments two or three times. And then yesterday I decided to go back and watch a clip of uh, Evan and Tiki when Scherzer said that. And I, I watched Evan reading the quote. And Scherzer said he was told that basically any piece that is only signed through 2024 is in the discussion to be traded. And again, this went over my head a couple of times. He was talking, he was alluding to Alonzo. He was alluding to Alonzo in that one. Now, I think they definitely listened on offers, but there's a difference between listening to offers and actively shopping someone. And I don't think the Mets were ever actively shopping shopping Pete Alonzo, and I don't think they have any, any intention of doing that this offseason. You're supposed to listen to offers on everybody. That's what a good front office does. There's no harm in that. And I do think they're going to sign Alonzo to a long-term contract. But I also think, you know, and maybe this changes in a couple of years with the way the salaries go, the idea that you're going to have someone in Scherzer's position where he's been established in the league and is making that much money and was a former rep, and for some reason that gets twisted in his mind that he has a right to confront the owner about this. I don't know, David. I don't see a lot of people being in that situation. No, I I, I, I understand the point. I'm just saying if you're an owner, you're a GM, you 
you don't want to set a pattern that you don't want to do multiple times over. Um, mm-hmm. Pete Alonso well, probably won't do it because Pete Alonso is a homegrown talent. So I think there's some loyalty there. Um, but, but, you know, there will be another pitcher making $40 million. We just don't know who, who it is yet. The Mets will sign a pitcher in the next couple of years because if by 2025 or 2026, when they're going to compete, they're going to sign that veteran. You know, they're, they are going to overpay for that veteran. Nothing wrong with that because sometimes you need to overpay to get sort of that last piece that, that jot that could actually be your leader in the clubhouse. Granted, Max Herzer, should he have done what he did? No. Am mm-hmm. I surprised that Max Scherzer did what he did? No. No. Max no. Scherzer has a, Max Scherzer has a history of speaking his 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 mind and looking at it from pluses and minuses. This was this up. This obviously was probably a, a minus. This probably was a con. You probably didn't want him to do this, but I you could you could probably point to a lot of pluses where this sort of attitude kind of helped the Mets and face of the clubhouse when they did win 103 wins. So it kind of bends both ways. Yeah, but I also think part of it is on Max not recognizing that. And I, I don't know who I heard say this in the last week, but I know I heard someone say this. You know, when pitchers get older, you hear the old expression, they actually have to learn how to pitch rather than just smoking everything in. I don't think Max Scherzer is fully at the stage where he realizes he has to do that. And I think you can use this incident as kind of a microcosm of that. He doesn't realize his place in the game. Who are you to be the one dictating anything? You're the reason we're in this situation in the first place. Okay. So, well, you're one of the reasons I should say. So there's that, but to, to, uh, to keep it moving here, um, you know, they are going to sign other pitchers. I don't think you're going to see a $40 million man in the Mets future in at least the next couple of years, though. And the problem with the Mets farm system right now is you still have so few guys who you have hopes with in AAA right now. Like right now, the bulk of the Mets top tier prospects are in double A Binghamton and single A Brooklyn. Now, there is some hope when you see some of those guys, particularly the fact that a lot of the guys that the Mets have drafted last season, and even a few guys from 2021, are in that group of prospects from AA and the high A Brooklyn team. Uh, Tyler Stewart was a draft pick for them last year. He shot up to uh, AA Binghamton, Christian Scott, pitcher from 2021, Mike Vassell, the only real hope of a pitching prospect that the Mets have in AAA, draft pick in 2021. A lot of their high-end draft picks from last season are are in uh, the high-A system. I know a number of them just got promoted, including their top two picks from last year, Kevin Parada and Jet Williams. Parada's hurt, of course, but he's a catcher, so, you know, you're not necessarily hoping he is. But the Jet Williams kid – Apparently, he's only 19 years old, and everybody's been raving about how good of a hitter he can be. He got moved up to Brooklyn, and so far, he's doing decent. But to go back here 
the the point of me saying that was the pitching prospects still are at least a year away from really making an impact. So I do think the Mets are going to sign players this offseason. The idea that they're not going to put a competitive team on the field next year is absolutely ridiculous. And I'll give, go back to something you said. I do think Max knew what he was doing when he phrased it like that. And I think that's why Verlander kind of took it upon himself to say they're going to try to be competitive, maybe just not as competitive as we would like them to be, or however he phrased it. But let me just run this down real quick, because when you look at sure. the free agents who are available, and we're talking just pitching here. Because, yeah, the Mets did send Brett Beatty down to AAA yesterday because he hasn't been doing very good over the last couple months. Ronnie Mauricio still is a AAA. Uh, I've heard a couple different things here, but the one thing that I'm really hoping is true is that the Mets are waiting until August 20th to bring him up because if they wait till August 20th, he maintains rookie eligibility next season. So I am hoping that is true and not – what the Post reported on Saturday, and that is that there are some in the Mets organization who feels like Mauricio has kind of almost gotten bored with AAA and is just waiting to get to the major leagues. Well, you know, you look at some of the guys on the major league rosters, no shit. But it's making it sound like he's got a little bit of an attitude problem. I'm hoping that one's not true and the August 20th one is. But to go back to the free agents that are available in this class, here's – Here's, in my opinion, because I looked at the free agent pitchers yesterday, and I, I brought up the Beatty and Mauricio thing just to say, I don't think the Mets need a lot offensive-wise. I think maybe you go for one veteran bat, preferably someone whose name isn't Daniel Vogelbach, and I think we'll wind up getting one veteran guy just to kind of, you know, give people some blows, a little bit of depth, you know, stuff like that. You have to get at least two or three starting pitchers out of this year's free agent crop. If you look at the free agent class, more than likely the Mets will not be going after any player gets tagged with a qualifying offer, which is fine because it's not like they've done that the last three years anyway. So I don't have a problem with a team trying to build up its farm system capital, not wanting to give up a, not wanting to sign a player who comes with a qualifying offer, which would mean they'd have to give up a draft pick. I'm fine with them going that route. What that does is likely, like I said, I think they'll make a bid for Shohei Otani. I don't think they'll get Shohei Otani. I'm just hoping it comes out that he only wants to play on the West Coast so we don't have to deal with any of this bullshit. But he's likely going to get a qualifying offer, so he's likely not going to be someone the Mets go after. Julio Urias, Dodgers pitcher, 27 years old, he's definitely going to get a qualifying offer. So I don't think you see the Mets getting him. Aaron Nola from the Phillies, 31 years old going to be a free agent and I do think the Phillies would wind up taking him with the qualifying offer just because it's a guy who's meant so much to your organization obviously they would like to keep him around for a few more years so I think he gets one Blake Snell to me is the wild card 31 years old has had some injuries is a bit of an analytical darling who seems like he has a problem getting into the fifth or sixth innings he could get tagged with the qualifying offer well, maybe he won't. If he doesn't, oh, I can see him being someone that the Mets wind up going after. Oh, Lucas, my, G- oh, my, Mike, huh? that that's my, Mike Blake Snell has Mets written all over him. I mean, I hate to say it that way. <laughs> yeah, don't think that's not another reason why I'm just like I don't know. If we really need to uh, 
I don't know if we really need to go that. I mean, listen, I think when he's when he's right, he's right. But like I said, I had him on my fantasy team last year. I know the guy struggles making it out of the fifth inning. There have been injury issues with him. And, yeah, no, he could definitely come to the Mets, get Sheldon his first three starts, get uh, need Tommy John surgery, and we never hear from him again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And if he wanted a five- or six-year deal, I don't think the Mets would give it to him because they'd be going for guys who'd be more inclined to take the two- or three-year deals, which brings me to the guys you can definitively say would not be hit with a qualifying offer, the guys I think the Mets would be going after, and I think some guys even the Yankees might be going after. Lucas Giolito was traded from the White Sox to the Angels. He's 29 years old. Because he was traded in season, he cannot be tagged with a qualifying offer. Now, he's not a great pitcher. I'm going to be honest. He's shown some flashes of being good. He can get lit the fuck up like anybody else. Matter of fact, his first Angels start, he got lit the hell up last week. So there's warning signs there. Your boy Jordan Montgomery is on this list. He was also traded from uh, St. Louis to Texas, so he can't be tagged with a qualifying offer. Maybe he's someone the Mets try to bring back. Maybe Cashman tries to get people to put the torches down and decide to bring Montgomery back. Even though, let, let's be honest, if Cashman, the way things are going with Cashman, if he brought Montgomery back, he'd, he'd need shoulder surgery and you wouldn't see him for the first year. So there's that. Eduardo Rodriguez, who I called the moron on this show last week for not waiving his no trade clause so he can be closer to his family rather than going to a World Series contender. He has a player opt-out this coming offseason, could be a free agent. I don't know if I would want him, seeing as how he's opting out of a contract that has about three years, about $60 million remaining on it. So he'd likely want more than what the Mets would want to give him. But there's a, the one name I'm kind of interested in in this group he got traded from the Cardinals to the Orioles. I wouldn't mind seeing Jack Flaherty come in. Not an overwhelmingly great pitcher, but a guy who could be kind of a mid-to-back-of-the-rotation starter. And, you know, for a team that's got a lot of holes, I think Flaherty could fill one of those. Maybe not a top-of-the-rotation top guy. But, you know, if all you got next year is Sangha and Quintana, you know, a guy like Flaherty looks pretty good right there. And the one guy, and Severino is going to be a free agent this offseason. If the Yankees don't go bring him back and there's not a lot of interest, maybe the Mets wind up taking a flyer on him, seeing if you could fix him. Marcus Stroman could be a free agent next season. I'm going to skip over that because Stroman's a douchebag. I don't think either team would want him. But the one guy, and I think I've said this to you before, you're hearing his name a lot more now as we get closer to free agency, because he's going to be posted by his team in the Japan League, um, Yoshinobi Yamamoto. I could be wrong about that first name, but Yamamoto, 25-year-old ace of the Japanese League, supposedly uh, projects to be a better pitcher than Sanga is. Apparently, he had a big showcase at the World Baseball Classic. And he actually, he, he's, he's, he, um, whatever their uh, Cy Young Award equivalent is, he's won it a couple times. He's got ERAs under two for like the last five seasons. And again, this dude's only 25 years old. If you sign that was, guy to an eight-year contract, I'm sorry, David. If you sign that guy know. to an eight-year contract, $160 million, something like that, 
that makes all the sense in the world because, again, only 25 years old, he fits right into the window that you're looking at in hopes of competing. And you'd likely give him an opt-out after four years anyway, kind of like what you did with Sanga. If you add a Yamamoto and a Flaherty to what you got in Sanga and Quintana, now you got something kind of decent next season. Maybe not World Series contender, but very least wild card contender. David, I've cut you off a few times there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just have a question, and maybe yep. you can answer it. How, how did this Japanese pitcher at 25 years old get get basically to be a free agent? Because you've got to be there for 10 years, I thought, in the Japanese league. No, I think he has been, but let me look let me look this up real fast. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I know because I think it's the difference of a year in terms of ages because I know Shohei, when he got posted, he was considered like, the international signings that you see out of the Dominican Republic leagues and all that stuff where they were only allowed to use international bonus pool money. I think, I think Yamamoto is a little older than, um, whatchamacallit, um, Otani was when he, when he fit, uh, hit free agency. So I think that's why he's able to do it. I, I know what's his name, uh, Tanaka. When the Yankees signed him, he was he was 25, and they gave him like a, a seven-year contract. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a similar it's kind of it's kind of a similar thing that you're describing. I guess based on my question is is it is it possible that the team sort of agreed to allow the player to test free agency because they're actually getting the posting money. Maybe that's it. No, nah, it's it's not because that was the same case in Otani's case. Because they have to let the players go. Like the players, like it's not like they were still under contract or something like that. If anything, I feel like their time ran out. So it's not like posting was when Dice K was out there and like they had the the major league teams in effect had to negotiate with the Japanese team for the posting fee before they could actually negotiate the player. That whole thing got done away with before Tanaka, if I'm not mistaken. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's nothing like that anymore. Okay. So let me, let me see this because, all right. It was after, uh, it was after 2017 that Otani came to the major leagues. So he would have been, 20, he would have been 24 at the time, I believe. I mean, yeah, no, uh, he would have been turning 25. I don't think he was 20. Yeah, no, nah, because, yeah. So he was born in 1994, hit free agency in 2017. So he would have been 23, actually. When he made his debut, he was not even 24. That's wow. why he was the internet. He, he, you could only sign him with the international money. That's why you couldn't sign him as a free agent. Interesting. So Yeah, okay. so that's the difference between him and Yamamoto right there. But, again, I mean, Otani was at least smart enough not to commit to a huge contract and still, you know, it's one that he's hitting free agency at the age of 29. So there's that. But, yeah, I think if you get Yamamoto, you get Jack Flaherty, you get maybe one other 
minor free agent starting pitcher who can give you some innings just to give you as an option. Um, I, I kind of like Brad Keller on the Kansas City Royals. He's never done anything to really show why I like him, but he just always seemed like a younger guy who was kind of sort of talented. He's been on a bad team the last four or five years. So, I mean, he, maybe you take a flyer on him. He's still only 28 years old. So I think either the Mets or Yankees take a flyer on him, trust your, pit, trust your um, co- pitching coaches and see what happens. But I wouldn't right, say right. that. All right, did you have anything else baseball-wise you wanted to bring up? Can't – no, I think – I think we covered everything. All right. Do you have anything else sports-wise you want to bring up tonight? Because I'll be honest, like, we could talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame uh, for football, but, you know, the, the guys who went in, good and everything – not too much else going on football wise. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to throw in. I read somewhere that Daniel Jones is not really having a good camp. How much do you really buy into that though? That that matters. He was five for 12. He was missing. He was, he was missing wide open receivers. Um, was that, a, was that a game or just, was that a game or just practice? Joint practice be, between him and, and the Lions. This Joint is the practice. first. I don't know if it's happened before, but this is like the first offseason I can remember where I'm actually hearing completion percentage about practices and joint scrimmages. Not well, just Daniel I, I, Jones, because I feel like I heard about it yeah. from someone else over the last couple of weeks, too. So I don't I don't mean to get on you for the Daniel Jones thing. It's just it's I, not even I, the preseason I, games. I, I think the concern is is because, and I don't mean to talk Giants. We could talk something other. No, no, other no, no. Say what you're gonna say. What you're gonna say. But, say but, what you're um, gonna say. It's fine. I, I, I think, I, I think basically the problem is is that the GM, um, Joe, Joe Schoen. I think that's how you say his name, right? Schoen. Uh, uh, the Shane, Giants GM. Shane. Shane. Yeah, I, I can have a pronounce those sh names all right um, keep going he said that daniel jones is going to grow into this contract we're paying jones not for the player he is but for the player he he will be and i think after after, after making that comment and then seeing seeing the story and 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 then seeing that uh and then seeing that Barkley was out for a for a couple weeks now he's back is this is this now going to filter in because the, because with Barkley entering camp late is this basically going to throw off the timing and could it lead and could it trickle into the season I think this is the point in the offseason where sports writers still got to get paid that's what no that's, okay I, yeah that's what I think um, but I will tell you one thing, actually. Now, now this kind of jogged it loose in my memory here. I don't know if you saw this because apparently this has only been reported over the last few hours. So Ron Rivera was being interviewed today by ESPN. And I'm just going to read this article verbatim for a minute here. This is on ESPN.com. Washington Commanders coach Ron Rivera 
said some of his players expressed concern over new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy's intensity during practice. But Bieniemy, also the assistant head coach, said he's not about to change his approach. Quote, I'm always going to be loud, always going to be vocal, always going to demand from my leaders, Bieniemy said. That is not the quote that I was – I know I'm looking for Rivera's quote here because – all right. This is what I saw first, and I was kind of shocked that Rivera said this in an interview. I had a number of guys come to me, and I said, hey, just go talk to him. I said, understand what he's trying to get across to you. As they go and talk and they listen to him, it's been enlightening for a lot of these guys. I mean, it's a whole different approach. Uh, as it, He also said, as a coach, I have to assimilate and get a feel for everybody. Eric has an approach, and it's the way he does things, and it's not going to change because he believes in it. Jack Del Rio has his approach. Having been a head coach, I think Jack has a tendency to try to figure guys out a little bit more as opposed to, hey, this is it. This is the way it's going to be, that type of stuff. Eric hasn't had that experience yet, unquote. Now, now that's the big one that I wanted to highlight here because – it's been about, it was about three or four offseason in a row that Eric Bieniemy was like the highest touted offensive coordinator on the market, and he couldn't get a head coaching job. This offseason, he finally gets to kind of break away from Andy Reid. He's the uh, assistant head coach for Ron Rivera. And now this, with Rivera himself, not really knocking Bieniemy. But I wouldn't exactly calling call this protecting the enemy. So maybe now we have a little bit of insight as to why he didn't get a coaching job before. And it's it's damn shame if this is all true. Because like how much of this actually comes from the enemy and how much does it come from Rivera being willing to put this out there? Maybe he should just go up to the players and be like, that's a coach. He tells you something. That's the way it is. You know, talk about kind of leaving doors open and people getting too familiar. I don't know. Maybe I'm being irrational here, but you hear that. What do you think? I think I think I think it could be two things. Um, first of all, I don't know why the Washington players would put that out there. And I don't. Well, it wasn't. I, it wasn't don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't, no players were quoted. The quotes that I. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Y- yes, but 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 Mike, we all kind of know how this works, right? The mm-hmm. the re the reporters probably got off probably got off off the record comments from players, and that's pretty much and that's pretty much how they brought it to the head coach, right? I mean, mm. I can't prove that. But I'm guessing that, right? Um, because, like, how would how, how exactly would like the press know to ask the head coach that Rivera? Well, I mean, listen. When I saw this at first, I had only seen Rivera's comments. Seeing the article right. now, they have comments from Bienemy, they have comments from Rivera, and they do actually have comments from a couple of the players. So, right. I don't know which came first here. That's the problem and i don't think this, this, i i don't know if that part's been put out this, this is what it could this is just what i think it could be number one eric Bannon won two super bowls with thanks to the chiefs 
the players sh- should just should just be trying to listen because the last because the last I checked, Washington won a Super Bowl in 1991 during the Joe Gibbs era. I mean, so that does those, sound about right. Yeah, right. So, so those players right now, I'm obviously not. I'm obviously not not going to say the players should not. You need a healthy balance of players and coaches to make a team work. But this guy who's coming over from Kansas City, he won two rings. I think we should. I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt. The second thing I think. I think I think what it could be, and maybe this maybe this isn't the most popular thing to say, but is it possible that maybe Rivera is worried about his job? Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know how much that would factor into any of it, really, unless it was a situation where the players were wanting to go higher up to complain, which. If it's like that after two weeks in practice, you got a bigger problem than just a, 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 an assistant head coach. Well, I, so. I, I guess, I, I guess, I guess part of basically what I'm saying is is that if is that if Washington takes a step in the right direction, what exactly what exactly is basically the story going to be? It's not going to be Ron. It's nobody's really going to be talking about Ron Rivera. Everybody's going to be talking about Eric the enemy, and and how his you know and and, and about how Washington was great to finally give him a give give him a chance. When exactly is like he actually going to be the head coach? Ron Rivera could be just hedging his bets. Well, I mean, truthfully, I did see something on Twitter that would kind of agree with you, but I don't know how you feel about agreeing with Jason Whitlock. So good job there. Um, <laughs> I didn't anyway. know Jason Whitlock said that. So. No, he kind of said this. I, I got to find a tweet now, but he did kind of say, because I, I think he was the first ones I saw say something about that that made me want to uh, kind of find out about it. But, yeah, let me let me see. Yeah, because 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 Mike hang on. Mike hang on. Mike oh hang, hang, on. Hang, on. hang on let me find the thing here, where is it? Okay, well I mean Whitlock goes a little farther than I think either of us would say it, so I'm not going to read the whole quote here, because Jason Whitlock's Jason Whitlock, but the. the my initial reaction to players complaining about the enemy's intensity. Why is Ron Rivera telling us this? He knows the enemy was hired to replace him. Rivera is letting the media and ownership know that the enemy's style won't work in the ultimate leadership position. The enemy coaches like a position coach. It's all he really knows. Rivera is playing a game of chess, protecting his position while also revealing the truth about the enemy. He's a position coach who's macerated as an OC in KC. I'm not going to read the rest of the, the quote because we, we don't get into shit like that here. But, yeah, so congratulations, David. You you agree with Jason Woodlock. Good job. Um, well, I didn't know he said that, but 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 that was but 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 that was my first reaction. You know, is is first of all a head coach should not be bringing that to public eye and the problem now is if let's say eric leaves and goes to another team next year the next 
coordinator, right? How exactly how exactly is that next coordinator going to react if I if I basically know that the guy who I work for is is basically going to bring it to the press? How comfortable am I going to feel in the in the tape room? You know, giving honest truths and training and this basically that and the other thing. And I think Ron Rivera maybe short term is doing is basically doing himself a favor. Long term, he's I think it's I I think it's gonna blow up in his face. Fair point. Fair point, especially if he is playing a game like that. So all right. We can move off that tonight. Um not too much basketball going on, so we don't really need to pay attention to that. Pop culture, David, I, I know I had told you yeah, you're looking forward to Ahsoka. We could talk about that if you want to say your thoughts. But I, the one thing I feel like we need to bring up, and I didn't remember this until after we talked the other day. Uh, so tonight is the season four finale of Dark Side of the Ring, which you and me talk about just about every year it's been on here. And we talked about it uh, when the season was just starting. We did a little bit of a preview there. We're nine episodes in. Tonight we got the season finale focusing on the life and times, or what exactly was the name? The World According to Marty Jannetty, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, which should be a lot of fun uh, for wrestling fans who grew up uh, late 80s, early 90s. Everybody knows who Marty Jannetty is from that time. Even if you don't, know a lot about him what has become a phrase amongst wrestling fans when you have a tag team who's going to be the Shawn Michaels and who's going to be the Marty Jannetty and for those who don't know Shawn Michaels actually uh Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty were a tag team called the Rockers in the late 80s early 90s when they split up Shawn Michaels went on to become the most one of the most celebrated wrestlers of all time Marty Jannetty, unfortunately, has had a lot of personal issues, uh, drug problems, uh, numerous things that kind of stunted his ascent in the wrestling world. And he obviously did not have the career that Shawn Michaels did. So that's the episode that we got going on tonight. But, David, let's take a look back very quickly over this past season of Dark Side of the Ring, the episodes, the topics that were covered. Episode one was Chris Candido and Tammy Lee Stitch. See, episode two was about Magnum TA, famous wrestler in the South in the 80s. Now, uh, episode three was about the Graham family dynasty. Mike and, uh, um, excuse me, Eddie and Mike Graham uh, from, the, from, the, uh, uh, from the Florida territories. Uh, the story of Matt Bourne, who was known in WWE as Doink the Clown. Uh, the Junkyard Dog was episode five. Adrian Adonis was episode six. Abdullah the Butcher was the supposed title of episode seven. It really should have been talked. I, I don't know what you could have called that, but that I was disappointed in that episode as we talked about. Bam Bam Bigelow, the Beast from the East, episode eight. Fantastic episode. And then last week, uh, we got... Uh, uh, in the files of the ridiculous of pro wrestling summation of events from bash at the beach 2000. So David, (laughs) I'll let you start here running down these lists. I've known, I know you've seen all the episodes here. What stuck out at you for this season? What'd you like? What didn't you like? I think I said this to you on 
face of the phone, but I'll but I'll actually say it here. Um, my wife Nancy hates WCW. She hated Nitro. She grew up watching WWE. She hated Eric Bischoff. She never ever liked Eric Bischoff. So when we were watching the Bash at we were watching last week the Bash of the Beach, I was watching every second. She was kind of coming in and out and listening to it. And about 45 minutes in, she can't stand Vince Russo either. She looks at me when the when the commercial came in. She says, I hate Eric Bischoff. I hate Vince Russo. I hate Vince Russo more. And 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 I actually hate Eric Bischoff a little less now. So <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked to hear that. And yeah. the reason I the reason I bring this the reason I bring this up is because she she actually kind of liked that episode because she like didn't she didn't understand why Vince Russo would would basically do what he did when he knew that Hulk Hogan had creative control. The ink was dry. There was no dis- disputing that. Why Vince Russo would 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 do what he did, and it well, still doesn't really make sense to me. And it still doesn't make well, sense. Well, I mean, yeah, but, I, I don't, yeah, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but to kind of go to that a little bit. Okay, the story he has told for 20 years now was that he told Hogan he was going to do that. His contention was that Hogan and Bischoff knew that, and to kind of surmise the storyline here a little bit, going into the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, the idea was for Booker T to win the championship. Uh, in, in During the pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett was supposed to lose the pay-per-view to Booker T, but earlier in the night, he was going to take on Hulk Hogan. And Hogan was supposed to lose. That was what Russo wanted. And Hogan, that ain't going to work for me, brother. He, he exercised his creative control. Wasn't going wasn't gonna to work for him, brother. And um, the, the, the story was that they said that, and I don't know how quite to phrase this, but Hogan turned it down. The storyline was going to be, as a result of that, Jared was going to lay down. Hogan was going to pin him with the one boot. He was going to cut a promo on Russo, and he was going to walk out of the building, leave the building. That part of the story Russo has agreed with and Bischoff has agreed with. But for 20 years, Russo has said that when Hogan told him that wasn't going to work, he not only laid that part out, but he said that he laid the part out where later in the program, Russo comes out, and cuts a vicious shoot promo on Hogan, stripping him of the title and making the match between Booker and Jared for later in the program. And during this show, you see Bischoff say that, you know, Jared laying down and Hogan leaving with the belt was his idea. The idea being to come back a couple months later at a pay-per-view where they would unite the championship or however it was phrased. That part's been out for a while. But then when it gets to the point that Russo says he explained this to Bischoff and Hogan that he was going to come out, at first he said he told them, and then at some point in the episode, we just kind of forget that Russo said that he told them. And then we just right. kind of admit that Russo did that on his own. So that that kind of – that was a quick descent. I, I don't believe Vince Russo. And – the, well, nobody and, does. And 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 this, 
the big reason why I don't believe that's the way it went was because number one, if if that's the way it was going to go, you don't plan to have Booker T wrestle earlier and lose to bring to bring him back to then win the championship. To me, that doesn't make sense. If that's if that's the way it was going to go, you leave. Booker T off that match and then bring him back to win it. Yeah, but the problem with what you're saying is you're actually using logic. And I oh, think okay. we all I, I think we all know Russo didn't exactly have a lot of logic in right. his planning. So I like I've heard the story about they were gonna have Booker T win the championship. That was a plan the whole time that was created. I've heard that version of the story for 20 years. I right. believe that he believes that. And I believe that that was the plan he was trying to enact. Yes, you would not have booked Booker T to lose a match later, earlier in the show if you were planning to give him the championship later in the night. No, you would not have done that. I would not have done that. I think right. a lot of people would not have done that. Vince Russo is not a lot of people, and thank Christ for that. I mean, the, the, the only I – did, I, I did like that episode. It was probably mm-hmm. – one of the better ones of the season, um, even though I think this this season's episodes were, you know, the creators kind of upped their game, I think. Not that season one and two, um, this is season four, right? This one, is season two, four. Yeah, yeah, season four. Even though I think the first three seasons were fantastic, I think these episodes were, were, were definitely on par and maybe mm. even better than the first three seasons. So um, just the way they kind of did them. The only thing, and maybe I missed it. You could correct me if I'm wrong. The only thing that would have made the match at the beach one even better is if is if they would have got Jim Cornette to <laughs> just be in it to just be in it for a little while. The same way how they actually got both of them to be in the uh, screw job episode. Yeah. Well, here's yeah. the, like, listen, I kind of would have, listen, I would have liked to have seen Cornette in there a little bit too. Here's the yeah. deal though. He was working at OVW at the time. He wasn't watching WCW stuff. So I, I get that. They probably didn't put him in because he had not, he would have just been in there to call Vince Russo shit stain. That's all he would have had. That, that, yeah, we would have been fine with that. You would have been fine with that. I would have been fine with that. And yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you there. But I think just in terms of people having to do with the actual story, I think that's why he got left out. I mean, they can have Jim Cornette come back on anytime and call Vince Russo a fuckwad. <laughs> so I, I do think I, it will be curious to see if they ever do a Russo versus Cornette episode of the dark side of the ring. That would be good. Um yeah, and they got they they would definitely have a lot to cover there. Uh, it, again, just intriguing to see if that will happen in the future. But the one thing I'll say about this season as a whole, I agree with what most of what you said because I think there were some really good episodes in this season. Um, the Bam Bam Bigelow episode, I think I liked that better than any episode in the season. Truthfully, great Phenomenal. guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. The, the formula for a good Dark Side of the Ring episode is a, is a good story where you're not really jumping around to a lot of different things where you can – you can only do so much in 45 minutes uh, on television accounting for yeah. commercials and everything. 
So it's very hard to cover these broad subjects that they cover here the way they do. But I think when they get it tight and they're not jumping around too much and they get uh, talking head subjects who are relatable, who are intelligent and can speak yep. about the subject intelligently. I think those tend to be your best episodes. And Bam Bam Bigelow is a classic example of that because all three of Bam Bam Bigelow's kids and his ex-wife made that episode so fucking good. Like they enhanced that episode so much just by yes. being there and giving their commentary. And I'll, I'll go to another one, uh, the Chris Candido episode that started off the season. When you have uh, Lance Storm and I think Jim Cornette and Tom Pritchard, yep. and then they got Candido's brother in there. And there's, I think there's one other guy I'm forgetting about. But when you got all these guys who know their shit and knew the subject well, and you get them in there, and not only do they get emotional because they're remembering their friend, but the, the scene at the end where all four of them wound up getting so emotional to the point where they basically all walked off camera. Yeah. Like, you can't fake shit like that. So no. those are the episodes that resonate with me the most. I'll say that. Um, I, I will say I, I felt like there were a couple misses this season. Like, I didn't think the Doink the Clown episode was a bad episode. I actually thought it was a fairly decent episode. If you kind of bad, bypass the fact that they had a woman um, being interviewed who clearly belonged in jail for being an accessory to murdering a person. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this real quick here, because here's the story. So they got Do uh, Doink the Clown, Matt Bourne, died of a drug overdose in the, in the 90s. And they interviewed his ex-girlfriend, who was living with him at the time. And she, uh, you'll have to remind me if I get something wrong here. But apparently she, so what was it? She woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning, saw he was choking on, right. on something while, while being unconscious calls her friend to ask if she thinks she should call the cops. And then she does call the cops two hours later. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it sounds like she was, she was, she was definitely, definitely the beneficiary on something on many of his yeah. policies. It sounds like, no, I, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, it didn't seem like he had a lot of money left or a lot of, you know, it didn't seem like he would have a lot of money to buy insurance policies. But what the fuck do I know? You might be right on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a really good episode if you bypass the fact that they were probably interviewing a murderer right there. Okay, fine. We'll live with that. Okay. <laughs> um, the Abdullah the Butcher episode I was very disappointed in because it wound up turning into – uh, a, a, a half hour episode about Hannibal, who is just um, really one of the, the garbage people in wrestling. The more you find out about this guy, he has a YouTube channel where he interviews wrestlers. But I, I've heard a lot about this guy just from being a Cornette listener the last couple of years. So he yeah. accused Abdullah the Butcher of giving him hepatitis C, even though he is a garbage wrestler who competes in death matches. All the time, the rumor is bookers will not pay him. He will tell the bookers, I will pay you to be at your show and do my deathmatch shit. Rolling around in other people's blood 
which he did before he fought Abdullah the Butcher, who he begged it to come on his show and cut him up because he was a mark. Um, yeah, before that and after that, and we're supposed to believe that he doesn't have hepatitis C anymore because he took some experimental men, uh, uh, medication. Motherfucker, if you know you got hepatitis C, what the hell are you doing? Even thinking well, about, well, even if you did get cured, why would you go back? You idiot. And oh, yeah, he almost got arrested a couple years back for slicing open and almost killing a referee. To be fair, Mike, just to be fair, there now is a cure for Hep C, but that's now. That's not then. Okay. I, that, I, I guarantee you whatever car, uh, cure that is probably right. wasn't the one he, think he thinks he got. No, 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 so, no. Uh, yeah. Also, also for basically that episode, let's just add one, one, one more thing. Um, they interviewed the the caretaker. Oh, that woman was out of her. She and, was and, out and, of her fucking mind. I, I mean, I mean, first of all, I would question why are you living with this man if his roof is caving in? You know what I mean? Mm. You know what are you getting out of the deal? Like, what are you getting out of it? I mean, well, she doesn't you? seem like is she has a lot. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't right. seem like she has a lot going on up top. She called him the god of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, it's a little weird. Like, that that was kind of a little strange. This is a guy who I would say about half of mainstream wrestling fans, probably from our era, probably never really knew who Abdullah the Butcher was, and had only heard the name in passing. Right. But this is the yeah, no. Between her and the fucking psycho brother that they interviewed, who just seemed like he escaped some sort of puzzle factory. Um, <laughs> I I think uh Cornette had a line, it was something to the effect of they took him away from his busy schedule of being the mayor of Munchkinland to do this interview, which he did sound like that, so that was pretty fucking good. But that episode was just, you want to talk about of a collection of geeks, freaks, and weirdos. Jesus fucking Christ. So that was I, that was an episode I was very disappointed in. Go ahead. Yeah. I think they I think I think they might have went into that episode thinking they 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 like had more. Because I think um when they asked what's his name, the butcher, I, um when they asked him to comment on the wrestler who was giving him Pep C. He didn't say nothing. Like he said, no, I don't really want to talk about that. Well, I mean, if you can't get a comment, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you telling yeah. this story? Like, 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 I, like, like uh, why are you telling this story? It, it just doesn't make sense. There was, you know, there's probably so many other stories that you could have went to. So I think probably what happened was, is they probably went in, they got about two, two, two thirds of the way in. And they probably thought they had more and they didn't. And they realized, oh, well, now we got to finish it. Well, I mean, you're right. You might be right because it was really like it was like 15 minutes in the episode. And all of a sudden they're showing this Hannibal guy. And, and I'm seeing this. and I'm going, wait a minute. They're really going to turn the rest of the episode into this because I had heard about all this a couple of years back. And right. I, I was just kind of shocked that, you know, Abdullah the Butcher has been around since like the 70s. 80s and you go 15 minutes into his story and you go straight into this which came when the dude was already in his 60s 
So I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if you're right there, just underwhelming episode there. And there were I like um the Magnum TA story I thought was pretty good. The story about the Graham dynasty was was very tragic to hear, if I'm being honest. It was very well done. And I, I, I liked um uh the daughter of Mike Graham. I like what she brought to the episode there, kind of gave it a little bit of a hopeful feel at the end there that she was gonna break the cycle. Um but like episodes like the junkyard dog and Adrian Adonis, I, I I thought they kind of I don't want to say fell apart, but they didn't quite do it for me, simply because I felt like they couldn't. The other guy, all the other subjects, there's a little bit of animation hype, excitement. I don't necessarily know the right word for it, but I just feel like, oh, there's my ride. Um, Junkyard Dog and Adrian Adonis just felt a little too straightforward to me. And I think if you do that with the wrong subject, it does tend to be a little more tedious than some of your episodes where you have a little bit more going on. You know what I mean? The the best part about the, well, I didn't, I personally didn't really know much about Adrian Adonis. So I kind of, I probably, I probably enjoyed it more, but I'm also, but I'm also going to be a little biased. My favorite wrestler, my favorite wrestler, as you know, is Bret Hart. So mm. it was actually nice seeing him on that. I think, and and I would put, I would put the Adonis's. It was, it was, it was good. I learned something. Um, the one, the one thing I will say is, is that if you got Bret, if you got Bret Hart for Adonis, you actually should have also put him in. You also should have put him in the Bam Bam episode because when I read Bret Hart's book and I've heard video clips, Bret Bret Hart had nothing but good things to say about Bam Bam. Bigelow. Mm. Um, well, so I mean, I, I wish I wish they actually would have got him to talk because if you actually want to go back and see a great match in '93, the King of the Ring, Bam Bam mm. and Bret Hart was a great match in the mm. finals. I have seen that match before. I do know what you're talking about. And the first Monday Night Raw I ever saw was the night that Bret Hart and Bam Bam had a rematch of the King of the Ring, and Jerry Lawler went up to the balcony and made fun of Bret Hart's parents. That was the yes. first Monday Night Raw I ever saw. <laughs> yeah, and I, I should also I want I want to make mention of this real quick. We don't got to talk a lot about it, but I just want to make mention of the fact SummerSlam was over the weekend. It's 2023. They were in Detroit. SummerSlam was in Detroit for the first time since the Lex Express came in in 1993, which was the first pay-per-view I ever saw. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was when they said they were going to be in Detroit in my head. I'm going, wait a minute, Detroit. They were at the Palace of Auburn Hills in 93. I don't even, the Palace of Auburn Hills obviously still isn't there. They were at Ford Field this time around. But in my head, I'm just like, that's kind of, that's, that's a neat little coincidence there that it's 30 years later and they're back in Detroit. That's nice. And, and, and Jim Cornette would say, oh, Lex isn't going to win the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, to go back to what you were saying, though, yes, I think Brett would have been good in that episode, but where do you put him in that episode? Because we already talked about the three kids who were great in the episode. The wife was great in the episode. They had Taz in the episode, 
who yep. had the famous match in ECW with Bam Bam where they went through the ring. And I thought he was great in that episode. They had Shane Douglas in that episode who, who knew Bam Bam. Uh, he was pretty good in the episode. You had Diamond Dallas Page in the episode. Um, yep. And I think you maybe had one other wrestler there. So you already had a pretty jam-packed edition for yeah. that show. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Bret Hart makes everything better. But I, I, I don't necessarily fault them for not being able to fit him in. That's true. Yep. That's All true. right. So, um, yeah, I, bottom line is if you're not watching Dark Side of the Ring, you definitely should because we both feel it's worth it. We've been saying it for years. And, yeah, we get to uh, delve into the uh, weird mind of Marty Jannetty tonight. So I know we're looking forward to that. Um, but I, I told you I was going to let you do this. Ahsoka is coming out in a couple weeks here. And I know you're hyped about this because you're a big fan yeah. of the animated Star Wars shows. So talk about it a little bit. Let, let, can I ask you one thing? Sure. Before we get sure. the, uh, before we get into Star Wars, because I think because I think you forgot about this. Are you gonna are you gonna watch the second season of Winning Time? You know, I did forget about that. That's a good point. Yeah. No, apparently that did premiere on Sunday. Yes. I am going to watch that at some point. I am going to watch I'm, that at some point because okay. I did like the first season, even though, you know, they're taking a lot of creative license with a lot of things there. But I, I love the overall presentation of the first season. So, yeah, I, I'll watch the second season. I, I, I know it's not uh, I know it's not 100 percent based on a real story. There's a little bit of drama in there. But I think and you've said this before, Mike, I think the show has a lot of great acting. Oh a yeah, a lot, a lot of great actors. Whether it's mm -hmm. Adrian Brody as Pat Riley, I mean, I mean, if you actually want to nail a a a a role, that one you nailed. I do think he's very good as Pat Riley, and I, I don't want to say he's he looks like him, but uh, he there there is a resemblance. I would say I can see a vague resemblance there, so I do like him there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, definitely looking forward to that. So Ahsoka. Oh, Ahsoka. Um, looking forward to it. I think it's got, I think it's, I think it's going to have a lot of Rebels in it. Uh, Rebels is, is the um, show that was on Disney. Um, ended, I think ended prematurely. Uh, went for about four, se four to five seasons. Um, a very underrated um, Star Wars show, probably just as good as Clone Wars. Um, it looks like this show is going to pick up right after um, where Rebels ended. Um, and I think uh, the character... Um, what is her name? I'm going to make a little correction to you there because I think timeline-wise, this is going to take place after when we saw her in The Mandalorian. But there probably will be a lot of flashbacks to that time immediately after Rebels. That's the sense I've got. Right, but 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 actually, the last episode of Rebels, um, when Sabine comes comes back to meet comes comes back to meet Ahsoka, uh, Ahsoka is older. Is like you know because she was like gotcha. she was like maybe mid. She was like mid twenties in Rebels. They show like a fast forward scene, 
and she looks older. Her hair is longer. So you could theoretically imagine instead of being mid 20s, she's mid 40s. And that would put her in the um, um, Rosaria Dawson's age uh, group. And mm. Sabine is older in the flash forward scene. And then you actually go back to this trailer of this show. She's actually she's actually wielding a lightsaber. So you could make you could kind of make the connection that uh, uh, Soka is training Sabine, I think. Mm. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. But you're looking forward just, to it. I'm looking forward to see how uh, uh, General Admiral Thrawn is going to look. That's actually going to mm-hmm. be the big reveal because he's a he's a really underrated um, um, character, enemy, bad guy mm-hmm. that I think did not get did did not get the respect that he needed. Maybe not as maybe not as evil as Darth Vader, Darth Vader, but he pretty but he comes pretty close. Well, I mean, it will be interesting to see him. I know he was in Rebels, but for a lot of people, this is going to be the first time they really get to see Thrawn. And he was a guy who was a uh, creation of the the extended universe, which got done away with after um, Lucasfilm was sold to Disney. But he was he was maybe one of the few characters that got brought into the Disney Star Wars from that extended universe. And yeah, no, everything I've I've ever heard about him is that he's a bad dude, very much in the Darth Vader mold. So I'm yep. going to be very interested to see if he lives up to the hype in this show. It it's it's going to be interesting the way they do this because if you actually go back and watch Rebels, they 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 really explore a a lot of interesting things. Like Thrawn wanted to Thrawn wanted to build another project where the emperor was trying to decide to follow Thrawn and, or could he build the death star? I forgot what Thrawn wanted to build something a little smaller, but Mm. there was an episode in rebels where the emperor chose obviously the death star over what Thrawn wanted because, well, I don't want to tell you what happened to Thrawn at the end of rebels, but Unless you know, unless it's yeah. spoiler free. Nah, yeah, you know, you don't have to. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yep. Um. All right. Yeah. I mean, anything else besides that you're looking forward to in this show, or just overall you can't wait for it? I'm looking forward to it because it's not only seeing Thrawn in live action, but also seeing Ezra Bridger. It's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting to see him in live action. And mm. I've heard, uh, I've I've heard a lot of rumors that they're going to make Ezra Bridger fall to like pretty much the dark side. There are some rumors how that how Thrawn maybe got him to go to the dark side, um, and it's going to be interesting how uh, Soka and uh, deals with that. Mm. I feel like that always winds up being thrown into one of these things whenever you have Jedi. Will they or won't they turn? So if they could do it in a way that it feels original, it'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily see a plan for him. I mean, because obviously obviously the sequels, there was no Ezra Bridger. So 
I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think he's going to come out of the show living alive. So it might be fitting to sort of this is where his kind of path ends. All right, that's um, that's not something I overwhelmingly expected. So okay, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's not a good, that's not where I thought you were going with that at all. So okay, that'd yeah. be interesting. And yeah. I overwhelm. I, I am curious because obviously all these Mandalorian, Boba Fett's, um, Ahsoka's, and I think there's maybe one or two other spinoff series in the universe uh, or in this time frame of that universe. I, I know you've heard that um, they're building to a movie with that. I'm curious to see where that's going to go. And I get, you know, I don't think they need to turn everything into a movie. And I do kind of like Mandalorian just being left alone, but we'll see where it goes. I, I did like the third season of Mandalorian. So we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting what they do. If, if, you know, I, per, you know, I was talking to my uncle about this and I just, I, I just think star Wars, the best thing they, the best thing that they could do is just let Dave, Filoni and John Favreau run everything mm. because 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 what those two have done the last couple years, whether you like it or hate it, most likely the shows have been great. Many of the shows have been great, and yeah, thanks anything, for that. Because like Boba Fett sucked until uh, Mandal- Mandalorian and Yoda, Baby Yoda got there. <laughs> I mean, all right. Well, they've. I think both guys have have probably hit more. Have hit yes. more often than they've missed. Yep. And I think Dave Baloney is the only one that's really worked with Lucas. Um, that's, you know, that's still doing it. You know, John Favreau didn't really work with Lucas. Dave Baloney did. So I think you kind of need both. You, mm-hmm. you know, you, act, you actually kind of need both, both people to look at it something. Mm. Absolutely. All right, I think with that, unless you had anything else, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up, David? I just wanted to bring up the winning time because I just wanted I just wanted <laughs> to get your view on it because I'm did you I'm did you see the, that. okay? Did you see the first episode yet of this season? Haven't no, haven't okay. seen it yet. Haven't okay. seen it yet. All right, I've been watching. Yeah. I've been watching this great show um, on Paramount Plus, um, Lioness. I don't know if you've checked that out. No, I can't say I've even heard of that. It's, it's the guy who did um, Tulsa King. Oh, ty- um, uh, lioness spelt like just regular lioness, right? Lioness, yeah. It's got um, it's 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 got um, um, what's the name? Zoe's Palander, Gamora in it. It's got Morgan Freeman. It's got the it's got Nicole Kidman. It's got it's got the guy from House of Cards, the chief of staff to Kevin Spacey. Yeah, it is. It is actually called Special Ops Lioness. Lioness. Yeah, it's a yeah. great show. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's basically the guy. It's basically the guy who did Yellowstone and yeah, Tyler Sher- Tyler Sheridan. Yeah, and fun fact about Tyler Sheridan: you never watched Sons of Anarchy, right? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. He was, uh, he was, um, I, I can't remember his position, but he was one of the local cops in the first couple seasons of Sons of Anarchy. He was really good. 
They killed oh, him wow. off. To, yeah, they, they killed him off to start the third season. And he actually, I, I read an interview he did like three or four years ago that that was basically what inspired him to start writing and directing because he was, oh, okay. he, yeah, because he felt like he was worth more money, but they only considered him like the 11th cast member on the list. So he never felt like he could go up. And at that Got point, it. he was he had kind of been typecast as an actor. So he just decided he wanted more control. And that's when he started writing it. He's put out some really good movies, too. Have you ever seen, um, I think he gets a lot of credit for Sicario. And I liked Sicario. But have you ever seen Hell or High Water? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. That is a really good movie. That is a real, oh, it's a, okay. it's like a modern Western robbery type movie. It's got Christopher Pine, Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges is in it. Really good movie. Really good movie. Oh, I'll check that out. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. But, but I was, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. But I was thinking of you because you, because you actually, you actually got me into Tulsa King. So yeah. when I saw that, so when I actually saw that this show was written by the same guy, I said, oh, let me let me check this out. And it's a really powerful show. And Zoe Hallander is fantastic in it. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. She is a good actress. It'll be, I don't know, it could be kind of weird to see her just playing a regular person because I feel like she does that so infrequently. She's either a blue alien in Avatar, she's a green alien in Guardians. You never she's really see pretty her just bad a in this. Yeah. She's pretty bad. Well, she's definitely not she's definitely not a regular person in this. She's pretty badass. Um she plays like um she kind of plays like a spy and they put together like uh they said in the credits that it was an all woman um special ops team, but it's a mixed team actually. It's men and women. They 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 kind of um the one line that's really, really cool is what is the actor's name from House of Cards? Yeah, he played Kevin uh, Spacey's yeah. Chief of um, That is Michael Kelly. His name in his character's name in the show, but I'm looking at a Wikipedia, Byron Westfield, a right, senior right. CIA so, supervisor. So he, he kind of has, he, he kind of has a crazy line. He's dressing down one of the subordinates, not Zoe Salander. He's dressing down a, See one of the CIA people, and this this the the CIA people did something that they weren't supposed to do. I don't want to spoil it, and mm. he wouldn't tell him he wouldn't tell him the whole truth. Um, and Dave, David David Kelly goes, I've seen things, I've seen things, and I review things that act that that actually the president doesn't see. You could tell me. <laughs> I get. I, I understand. I understand that reference right there. If you don't know what, if anybody's listening to this and doesn't know what he's talking about, that's basically the role that dude played on House of Cards, doing it for Kevin Spacey when he was the president. So that, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. I'll give you that one. Yeah. You would like it, Mike. All right, all right. I might have to check that out at some point. There, I do like. I tell you this, uh, between Tulsa King and The Offer, I like those are the only two shows I can remember seeing that are like Paramount Plus exclusives, and they're both really fucking good. So yeah. I haven't been, I have not been disappointed by Paramount Plus offerings. I will tell you that. So yeah. I, I, I might wind up checking that out at some point. 
Yeah. All right. I think with that, though, we're going to get out of here for tonight. So thank you to everybody for listening to us, whether Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Bullhorn, rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And we'll get out of here for tonight. We'll have Dave Hastings back with us next week. Let's do some final thoughts. Cousin David, thanks for being here with me tonight, bro. Uh, had a great time. Looking forward to baseball. Hopefully things happen that, you know, are better. Hopefully Yankees play better. And hope, hopefully they shock, they shock, they shock the hell out of me. Mm. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> hey, thanks again, because... And I am Mike Aglialoro once again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next week.